Hello and welcome to the No Room for Doubt podcast. I'm your host, Kyra Matthews. Hello, how are you? Lockdown easing up? Have you started shooting again? Gone back to normal? Whatever that means. Have you found yourself in a pub recently? No? me neither so we have a lot in common there anyway for today's episode this is a really meaty meaty episode I have invited three stunning women of color artists creative in the industry to share their opinion and really their perspective on what they feel like it means to be black and in this industry the reason why I really wanted to put this episode together is because in the wake of the recent events of 2020, the uprising, being in a lockdown, in a global pandemic, we've seen a real shift in how we see ourselves as people, as individuals. And the fashion community has become more insular, more reflective, thinking about where we're going. I really wanted to do this episode to honor the perspectives and the people who may have felt excluded from the industry before and give them a space to talk about what they want the industry to look like going forward. What do we have the potential to build now that we've lived through everything that's happened in the summer of 2020? There have been some really horrible events, some heartbreaking moments. And I feel that we would be doing an injustice by not taking the time to look at where fashion hasn't done the best that it could and to look at how it can improve for the future. And I believe that we all have a part to play in that. So I'm gonna let my guests introduce themselves in a minute. They're really phenomenal. It's a meaty episode, so get into it. The conversation is divided into fashion's past And then part two, which is fashion future, where we talk about what we want the future of this industry, this wonderful global industry to look like. Before I get into it, I want you to know that the sound quality on this episode isn't the best. (laughs) We were recording it in a lockdown and we all have our headphones and we're scrapping together. And I hope that you can forgive me for that. But otherwise, we've got bigger fish to fry. We've got a whole industry to reshape and to rework. So let's get to it. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome my guests. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of No Room for Doubt. I am your host, Kyra Matthews, and I help stylists, photographers, and art directors move from a place of self-doubt and indecision and help them build that unshakable confidence so they can have more money, more impact, and creative freedom. Now, on the topic of impact and creative freedom, I have a very, very special episode for you today. I am joined by not one, but not two, three amazing, delicious, fantastic creatives who have come to give you their time today. 
creators who are killing it in their space and are going to be the trailblazers of the future. And I'm so grateful to have them here on the show with you today. And I'm so excited for you to meet them. Today's topic, we, we are going to be talking about our experiences in the fashion industry as women of, women of colour. We're going to, it's going to be a really meaty episode getting into our past experiences, how we feel that our racial background has defined how we work, the work that we've been able to do and achieve, and who we've been able to work with. The second half of the conversation is going to be about our dreams for the future. What do we want to make this moment in fashion mean going forward? And how can we all play a part in the creative tapestry of fashion? It's a huge industry and women all over the world, especially women of color, play a huge part in creating the fashion industry as we know it today. So this episode is going to pay homage to all of those that, you know, feel that maybe their color has held them back, who can't be with us today, and really hopefully create freedom and space for them to express themselves regardless of their racial background and their color. So without further ado, I'm going to pass it over to my amazing guests and get them to introduce themselves. So can you all tell me who you are, what you do, and maybe let's start with a little fun fact. Um, okay, I'll go first. <laughs> um, hello everybody, my name is Asata um, and I'm a luxury ready-to-wear designer. Um, my brand, my namesake brand, focuses on breaking down traditional boundaries in gender apparel and the continuous reinvention of classic shapes. Uh, fun fact about me, I was a big tomboy when I was younger. I think that's mainly why I love tailoring so much. But um, I played football um, and I was the best goalkeeper in Deptford. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much. Um, okay, then I'll go next. So hi, everyone. My name is Deborah Tone and I'm the founder of Black Girls in Fashion, which is um, a platform that is dedicated to the revolutionising the way black women and girls work and study within the fashion industry. We're doing this um, using organic marketing and community initiatives to reshape the view of people of colour working in fashion. Um, we do online and offline events as well, experiences, and yeah, there's a lot more to come, but we use our digital media as an outlet in order to, to be able to facilitate all these things. Deborah, you didn't say oh, your fun oh. fact. Oh, my fun fact. Um, <laughs> I speak Portuguese and French. Portuguese is my first language, French is my second, and English is my third. Wow. Oh, you speak French as well? Yeah. I speak French. French is my first language. Oh. Mm. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Efe. I, um, I'm a creative director, consultant and fashion stylist. I've been working in the industry for several years in different facets. Um, but I currently work with do editorials and brands and just helping them develop their creative vision. I would say my fun fact is... Oh, it's more of a shameful act, but I feel like a lot of people have them. <laughs> I only just recently learned how to ride a bike. Oh, <laughs> oh that's so cute. Oh, I love that. I've had, I had so many people. I had it was like a it was a it was a friend moment. All my friends were like helping me and cheering me on alongside oh. little kids. In the Did park. you have little wheels on the side? And I didn't have training wheels. They wouldn't let me do that. They wouldn't let me shame <laughs> like that in public. 
but it was fun. <laughs> I had to call my parents and be like, I got taught how to ride a bike, finally. <laughs> oh, I love that. That love. is incredible. Welcome, because I feel like riding a bike is one of the like priceless jewels of life. Like I love going out for a cycle. It fills me with so much joy. No, definitely, definitely. I can now not look in envy at kids. <laughs> and just to add to that, my fun fact was that I learned how to swim last January. I literally oh, wow. went to adult Yay. swimming lessons. It yes. was very fun. I <laughs> need to do that. Look, swimming is one of the things in life that you must know how to do because you you just never know if you're ever going to end up in a situation <laughs> where you have to swim to save your I life. <laughs> I remember watching this, um, I think BBC One had created this like drama about if like a tsunami came to London and it was the most terrifying thing of my life. I was, maybe I was like 15 when it came out and I was just like, that is what nightmares are made of. I can't swim. Anyway, I've got it sorted. Like 2019, it's all in the bag. So we are recording this on the 27th of June. We've no when also no stranger to what is happening in the world and everything that's happened in, in America and the ripple effect that it's had for us as creatives over here in London watching everything unfold on our screens mm. how do you think this moment in time this period that we're in is going to affect fashion how is it I think it's um sorry I think um, I think it's it's affected fashion in many ways because we're seeing it's uh, I put a post up on black girls in fashion which said um, it was one of the quotes of the day which was black women are about to be the most sought after demographic consumer de demographic and that's because the black lives matter movement has been become more amplified this year because of everything that's happening and now people are looking ways it's not just the black community it's not just everybody else but it's also the black community that are looking around and saying okay do you know what like nobody actually has our back like nobody looks mm. out for us it's time that we start looking out for ourselves you know even today the 27th of june is black pound day here in the uk this this is how we are creating you know this movement is creating change for the black community, um, not just in fashion, but across all industries. And it's interesting to see, um, I, I would say like for myself, this is something my focus um, on for black women specifically in fashion has been like a four year journey. It only recently, it only launched like almost two years ago, it'll be two years in September, but I've always had the outlook that, you know, our communities could add so much value to all of these industries, but nobody saw the value in us. We had to see the value in ourselves. And I think this is the shift that is now happening. You know, you've mm. got brands that are scrambling to kind of grab this like demographic. It's like, damn, okay, let's not lose that black dollar, that black pound. You know, it's, it's like I've said before, the, the, the black currency globally is worth two trillion a year. That's $2 trillion a year of money that comes from the black community globally. So we do, we, and we have, an, uh, our spending power is two to three times more than everybody else because we are products and not, everything that we buy tends to cost us more money for some reason it's more expensive for us. Um, and I also do believe that it's time, this like the world, 
events that's been happening is making people think, okay, how can I now build that generational wealth for myself and for people who look like me? You know, how are we now, instead of like, you know, if you look at, for example, it's, this has also triggered like a reckoning of accountability, accountability within the fashion industry. You know, people were trying to cancel Anna Wintour <laughs> for not providing, um, she said something on the, along the lines of, you know, they'd never um, been given, an, had an opportunity to be able to put black creatives on. And I'm like, at what point did you never have an opportunity? You have, you know, it took Beyonce having to have you guys sign an NDA so, so that she could pick the first black photographer that would take a cover um, for Vogue in a hundred years. That is the most ridiculous thing. So you're telling me in a hundred years, there wasn't one black photographer that you Man. in your circle that you could bring on and potentially give that opportunity to. Cause it's fine for them to be their friends and in the circle, but when it's time to actually give them the opportunities that will take them further in life, it's a bit like, mm. Exactly. And not just that, but then you've also had in the recent weeks, you've had um, previous Vogue, um, uh, previous Vogue employees like come out and say, you know what, my experience was absolutely atrocious. I was Mm -hmm. bullied. I was, I was, you know, I I suffered racism. I suffered discrimination and prejudice within, you know, within the studios of Vogue. And I'm just thinking, wow, like even at that stage, you guys still aren't innovative. You still haven't developed the way that you work, the way that you think when it comes to working with people of color. Um, So yeah, that's, those are my thoughts for now. I don't want to rob anyone else's time. Go ahead. I think like right now what we're seeing is the events that's happened leading up to this point, a lot of the fashion industry can't deny that they're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And I think for a long time when things like this have happened in the past, because this is by far not the first time, they've all, always been, you know, oh, this is terrible. You know, my heart bleeds for this situation, but they've yeah. never looked at themselves and thought, hmm, how do I contribute to this? And I think right now what's happening is that a lot of black creatives, a lot of black people in different industries are holding the industry accountable. They're saying, okay, yes, this is a horrible, tragic thing that happened and it is at the extreme end, but you are part of the system and you do benefit from the system and you help to amplify the system, how it currently stands. So I think what's good about right now is that as a community, black people are really coming together and saying, we are going to hold you accountable. You are not going to get away with just a black square on Blackout Tuesday and say, this is a horrible thing and move on. What are you going to do to change? And now they're having to answer for past discretions. What I find interesting, especially about like what you mentioned before, Deborah, about Anna Winter and her statement is don't pretend like you weren't part of the problem. Own it. Say, you know we didn't do our due diligence we didn't look for black creators we stayed in our comfort zone you know we looked to people that we know or friends of friends and created this elitist um Mm. this elitist group of people that we collaborated with only and now we see the problem of that but I think pretending that you didn't have the opportunity is a big slap in the face and I think a lot of people Mm. won't forgive that we can forgive ignorance to a certain degree but we can't forgive people who don't see that they were part of the problem or feel that they need to change because mm. I think they need to be held accountable and I think that statement is really like disgusting really and it's, there's no excuse for it. I think also if you you can you know you can see the way 
they think how like she was running things especially like I don't know if anybody recently bought the Andre Leon telly book um where the ship on trenches and it's actually a very it's I love that book and I didn't it wasn't what I expected it to be I thought it'd be like a massive expose or like but it really wasn't it was him being you know putting himself forward and saying look actually and he did say in some interviews Anna Wintour didn't make me like I was already made prior to her entering my life and and becoming a part of my my creative story um and his experience was so telling and you know coming from they I think in one passage he was saying that he was this tall gay black man that was very articulate and you know knew about um oh couture and knew about all of like all of the major designers at the time he knew them in depth in in a, in a manner that they didn't expect um him to to understand fashion and he kind of was taken aback because he was just like I don't understand why is it because I'm black that you think that I can't you know I wouldn't know about these things and I, I don't know the the history of fashion and all of these designers Valentino and you know I was he he because he comes from from the south and there's so much richness in terms of um, in terms of fashion, of statement, of the way the way one appears in the world, you know, he grew up um, going to Sunday church, like church on Sundays, where Sundays were the only days at that time where they could, where black people could generally dress up and look their best and everybody came out with their hats and just looked amazing it was just interesting to see the richness um of uh, the richness of his understanding of fashion from a very young age and kind of like this whole situation where he he what he went through with Anna Wintour and being you know taken off the whole Vogue the whole Vogue company altogether without without any acknowledgement of the the you know the richness that he brought to the company I felt that that's really telling about who she is as a person but also it's very telling about the way the industry treats black creatives as well Mm. Um, so it's important that we now recognize these things and like you said Effie make them accountable but then also say well right since you can't do it properly we're just going to have to do it ourselves we're going to have to create these publications ourselves create these studios ourselves and once we have these things in place that's when they will see that the true value of the of you know the black creative um what's that term the black creative contribution Mm, definitely and i also feel like now we can see that there's a lot more like focus on black businesses to buy from black um designers to know about there's all these lists that publications and companies influencers have come out with um and for me it's also it's a bit bittersweet because it's like were you aware of these designers and brands before and you just didn't think they were worthy of being of their voices being amplified mm-hmm. or is, are you only doing like your research now um and for me it's I want to see the focus on all this stay after, you know, the hype, let's say, has died down. Like the same way that you feature white brands and white companies, I want like in six months to still be visible to see um, black voices and have their voices amplified, like in Vogue or in all these publications. I want to continue to see that. It's not just, you know, now. 
Yeah, I, I do believe that they're making like small steps as well. They're making mm-hmm. small steps because Harper's Bazaar just appointed a brand new um, editor in chief who is a woman of color. Um, and she immediately, color. yeah, like she immediately, um, the first order of the day was to, to print out and put out um, articles on different, on various like black people who are creative, who are, who have been in the industry for a long time. She actually amplified some of like the women in fashion who have created some of the biggest brands, like for example, like Brandy's, what's her name? Uh, Brandy's Daniels, who is the, the owner of Harlem Fashion Row. Um, you know, she's been doing this for 11 years, putting on black creators, black designers, jewelry makers, you know, uh, costume makers. She's been putting these people on for absolute years. Um, I'm giving them that that opportunity um, to showcase their work, whether it's especially in like Brooklyn, Harlem, these kind of areas where it's very hard for creatives to have access or opportunities into the industry. Um, so there are, I do believe that there's small steps that are being made and they do yeah, need definitely. Like more, more black people in, in, in leading, in like the leading roles and manage, management roles as well. I think mm-hmm. that whole idea of like this moment being bittersweet is really what I think is almost difficult for me to like really forgive people. Like okay. it is impossible for me in my point of view to say that you didn't know that like racism was a problem that you didn't know that your company had an issue with racism where as a fashion assistant I've worked in lots of head offices of different brands walked into lots of PRs you know been in lots of meetings with some of these huge brands and you can walk around a whole open plan office with 5,000 employees and everybody looks the same sounds the same talks the same Mm. you know they like you can't pretend that that was an an issue and for me seeing some of these brands come out on instagram these same brands which i know what your insides look like being (laughs) like oh people of color we stand by you we support you we're always supporting you like look like let's just let's put up a post about a black creative like to me that is superficial like the change has to be financial, social, economical. Yeah. It has to have bigger ripple effects than posting someone on yeah. Instagram. And don't get me wrong, like that is a great opportunity, but it has to be like an inside inside out job. It can't mm. be coming from the outside in. Yeah. And I think that's how we're going to really know if this moment, you know, shifts and changes the industry. And I want to just ask, as women of colour in this industry, how do you think that maybe your race or your background or certain experiences that you've had, how has that shaped how you create work, have approached work or approach collaborations in the past? Um, I do feel like knowing that I just need to work 10 times harder in general just to be acknowledged, um, first and foremost, has been like a big thing. You know, for me as a designer, um, number one, telling your parents that you want to be a designer in luxury, telling your, you know, African immigrant parents that you want to be a designer in luxury, ready to wear. um, They turn around to you and be like, ah, there's no black people in that. What are you going to (laughs) do? Literally, (laughs) like, what are you going to do? And then, you know, working super hard to get yourself in those positions because, you know, you don't have the connections you don't really have the same resources that, you know, your white counterparts ha- may have. Mm. Um, and then when you get there, people are like, 
surprised at you being there and it's like man, why are you surprised that I'm being here yeah. my work like you know what I mean it's like I'm you're constantly having to like prove that number one your work is good enough number mm. two like my presence is good enough like I'm here for the exact same reason that you are um and it's so funny because I remember having one experience and one white lady was so so rude to me at one of my previous brands that I worked with and that's another thing that really frustrates me is that people feel like they can just speak and behave towards black people in any way and we should just sit down and take it with grace you know oh she's so graceful oh she just let that slide you know sometimes you have to tell people that you're not the one um and on this occasion I did tell her I wasn't the one and she was like oh you know you're so rude um they shouldn't let people like you in here and I was just I was so taken aback yeah that I literally like I was like oh my god I literally couldn't believe it and I was like, what do you mean people like me? Because now I want you to say what you're, yeah. what you're trying to say. She was like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, you're just being so rude. You're just being so rude and aggressive. And babes, like, she literally was verbally abusing me. Like, I've never, yeah. ever, nobody has spoken to me in that way. And I was so angry. I was more, like, I went to cry after. But I only cried because I couldn't hear her. Yeah. <laughs> that that is <laughs> you can't see this, but everyone's mouth just dropped when Asata just told that story everyone was like what the fuck like I literally couldn't believe it I literally I think couldn't believe it I I'm gonna add to that because my experience has been a whirlwind in itself and I made a decision to want to be my own boss because of the experiences that I had and I just said to myself no disrespect but I don't want to work with white people anymore like <laughs> I just I'm just like in in some places I don't because I would, I had been um, hired by, um, for this, for the, to work with this PR brand um, as their, um, what position was it now? Their, um, their wholesale studio assistant. And we had to book in like um, the buyers in the UK to come and show, to, to obviously show them the brands, the international brands that we had that we wanted to place within like Debenhams, um, Harrods, Liberties, all that. Um, so, I went for this interview. The woman was so lovely. Like she was so nice to me. And she was like, you know, you are by far the most experienced person that we've had for this role, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, great. I mean, I've got like already, like at that point I had what, five, six years of experience working in the industry with, and they were not a large brand. Like this was like just a small brand. Um, and so I was coming with a whole heap of experience and knowledge within the industry already. So I, I knew I was an asset to them. On top of that, I was running my first platform and I had um, connections with both young creators and professionals within the in industry. Um, so it, it worked in their favor to have me. I was an asset to their business. Two weeks into my job, this woman would say things like, oh, you know, I prefer my, with like sitting opposite me, and she said, I would, I prefer my assistants to be Polish. And I was like, what? <laughs> Why would you say that to me if you, you just hired me two weeks ago? Like, it's, it's just, I don't get it. Um, I was the only um, black girl that worked there, but the owner of the company was a black Nigerian British man. And he wasn't around, she would treat me like absolute trash. She would say things under her breath or she would like, she was very passive aggressive, very passive aggressive. I think there was a time where he was going on holiday uh, on business, on a business trip to Germany. And um, she 
she had said to one of the other colleagues opposite me, but right in front of me, oh, you know, um, I've, I've fired an assistant before when, when the boss wasn't around. The last time he left, like an assistant got fired. And I was like, okay. Like I just ignored it because I didn't think she was talking about me. And um, it got to the stage where I was just like, do you know what? I, I haven't got the energy for this. I need to just exit. And it, it, at that point, it was when her, another assistant came up to me and was like, oh, so, so when did you work at Erdem? Because like I, I had worked previously at Erdem two, before going to that job. And I was like, oh, it was like a couple of years ago. I was there for like a year. Um, and she was like, oh, what was your, like, just really prying into what my role was, what I was doing, like, how how did I get there? And she was like, exactly. well, because I have a friend and she doesn't ever remember seeing you or hearing about you. And I was like, I don't give a damn about your friend. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I said, I don't give a damn. I've got the contract that says Erdem on it with my name on it, love. I don't care what you have to say. Um, and it was just things like that. It's like they generally, so this is why I'm like co-signing with you, Ashata, on this, because so, uh, some of them generally don't believe that we belong in these spaces. They yeah. don't, they, they, it just is unfathomable for them. <laughs> like, how did we mm. get here? And they mm. don't believe that we have the experiences to get there. And, I, and, and one of the biggest problems of the industry as well is nepotism. It's yep. the reason why we don't, we're not allowed into these spaces is because they're given to, these opportunities given to people who might not necessarily have the experience or the skills to do that job, but because they know such and such, they get these positions. So that is definitely an issue that we're dealing with at the moment as well. Um, touching on that, um, I found a tweet, I'm going to try and find it and forward it to you, Kyra, um, about a girl who interviewed at Vogue. Um, American Vogue and the only she said that the only questions that Anna Wintour asked her were um, who's your father and where do you and your family holiday in the summer those were the those were the questions those like the is questions. that relevant to the job seriously Not at all. like oh. are we in Devil West Prada like what's right. going on <laughs> like hun that yeah. is just so wild I remember the first brand after I finished university and came back to London the first brand that I interned no maybe they were like the second but maybe there was like four people in the studio it was like a really small brand there the brand is huge now but when I first interned with them it was really small and at the time Annie Rendo Lodge had just published her book why I'm no longer speaking to white people about race and mm. I read that in about two days and it was like the matrix all of a sudden I was like oh oh my I was seeing life so differently <laughs> yeah. so differently and then so I started sharing what I was learning in that book with my colleagues I wasn't the only person of color but I was the only black woman there and I remember the head designer of that brand saying to me like you know if racism in London is so bad why don't you just go back to Africa and start your brand there and do your fashion design work why don't there? why don't you give us our reparation money so we can rebuild our yeah it's just so and at the time I took that as just a very like you know like maybe that's an idea but I think that just goes to show like how much there is to know like mm. what does it mean for first of all my family isn't actually African like I'm Jamaican and St. Kitts, but that's another story that you assumed that, mm. um, my history. And also it's like, 
like, do you really believe that I could go back to Africa and have the same access to resources that I have here in the UK? Like, even as a woman of a colour, I have to acknowledge my, you know, the privilege that I have been born in London at a time yeah. like this. Yeah. And yeah. not in some um, countries in other parts of the world where you can have dreams and there literally isn't the infrastructure to build you up and to support those. Yeah. And so as much as I feel like I've had to kind of like get really lucky in some opportunities, there is a privilege that comes from being black in London. And saying something like that, I really felt like, are you joking? Do you not know the state of the world? Like, what do you think that it's like just as easy as that? I just get in a plane and then, you know, my brand is erected in another country. Like what, you know, I just thought that was really bizarre. I just mm. want to say, like, big, big shout out to you for even having that conversation with your colleagues. Because <laughs> yeah. for me, I'm always like, I'm not talking about racism with you. I'm not talking about, you know, history. Like, I've had I, so had it. I just, I, I've, I've always just been in the industry. I've always been the only black person within the studio environment. Like, always. I feel like, and I feel like they're always looking to me. It's like, do you have these conversations about racism when I'm not here? Or is it because I'm here? You're like, oh, you can shed some light for us. And it becomes this lovely anecdote, lunchtime anecdote for them. Mm-hmm. When in fact, it's me reliving trauma of my childhood because I grew up in a very racist town. So I'm like, no, I'm not going to provide you with little nuggets of my pain for your entertainment because yeah. this is just a nice little story for you to you know go oh my gosh that was horrible like you wouldn't ask someone who'd gone through domestic violence to relive that for your lunchtime anecdote right yeah right. just trying to make like the I don't know they the sort of like trying to like prove my to my or put myself in the victim mindset and like you do know what I mean like making myself yeah. feel yeah. like a victim in front of white people is just not something that I'm here for like also I'm not here to teach you about racism go yeah. read a book yeah. Again, yeah. Rennie Ed Lodge. Like, yeah. Like, for me, that's always been the thing. Like, they all come and make some random statement. Like, I remember I worked at, um, I worked at ASOS, actually. I don't mind saying it. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I worked at ASOS, and it was probably, like, my second, my second full-time job in the industry. Um, and I was really, at the time, really grateful because I, inter- I interviewed for an assistant role. And upon meeting the studio producer, she was like, you're really experienced. I think we need to readdress the role and make you like an official like mid-weight level um, because you're, you're clearly more competent than the job role and looking at your portfolio. So I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so like lucky that you could see my portfolio and see my skill set and think, no, we're going to up the pay and we're going to change the title. So I was really excited to be there. Um, and the people I worked with, they weren't horrible people. They were lovely. Like I was the only black girl in the studio and it was predominantly male and it was predominantly white males, but they were a nice team of people, but there would be times where conversations would come up and I would never bring it up because I always was aware I'm there to work. I'm not there to mm-hmm. educate you or to talk through what's happening in the world with you. If you're my friend, fair enough. But if you're my colleague, we'll keep it at that level. And I remember people came into the studio one morning and I think this is when Reggie Yates just done that documentary where he went to Russia and it was about his racial abuse that he came out of the airport and people were making monkey noises at him. And one of the girls said, oh, like that was so horrible. Like, thank God that doesn't happen in the UK. Doesn't it? And I was like, Uh, (laughs) excuse me? It doesn't happen to you. Yeah, I was like, it doesn't, I was like, at that point I had to say, 
And what makes you think it doesn't happen in the UK? Because my thing is, I don't want to tell you my experience and I don't want to shame you, but I'm going to ask you questions to make you think. Mm. Um, So I said, what makes you think it doesn't happen in the UK? She was like, well, you just don't hear about that. And I was like, but why would you hear about that unless it happened to you or someone that you know? And then she was like, oh, well, yeah, I, I guess I guess you're right. And it's like these fluke statements that you make that everything here is fine and that racism only exists in America or in Russia or in Germany. Like it, it, exists, across, it exists across the world in different ways. And a lot of people aren't educated about it. And that's why I always say, I'm not going to bring it up at work because you need to really do the homework for me to feel like I can have a conversation with you about this. Because if you're mm. not even understanding the base level of the situation, mm-hmm. we can't have a dialogue because I can't be here telling you everything that goes on and how it is to live in this country as a black person. If you don't even know that, if you don't even, if you're not even aware that racism exists in this country, we're not even going to start that conversation. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's a really interesting point. And I think that this moment, it's so interesting that you said like you wouldn't even have that conversation with your workmates because after I had that conversation with that designer, like I definitely learned a lesson and I never spoke to anyone about race at work again. It was almost like my experience at that brand, it was almost like I had learned or at least internalized the idea that if you bring up race, whether you're wrong or you're right, or you think it was a racist experience, if you bring it up and say it's because of your color, you will be outcasted, you will be gone, like there will be no one to lean on. Like, so for me, it became this choice of, do I just suck it up and be silent and just go with it? Or do I like fight for all of this? And if I'm totally honest and totally vulnerable, for a lot of things, I chose to be silent. I chose that that silence was the price that I had to pay in order to succeed in this industry. And it was almost like things would happen and I would swallow it back down and just be like, oh, no, it's fine. And I'll just cry at home or like I'll go to my partner and I'll just like be in tears. And so I wanted to open up this part of the discussion to talk about maybe have you internalized anything from the industry that this moment in time in particular is kind of showing you all the times maybe that you have internalized those beliefs or maybe you've internalized something else? Um, I do feel like the conversation of, I don't know, quote unquote, being like the good black in certain companies, um, especially if you're one of the, if not the only one, one of the few black people, is like, you know, maybe it's not intentional, but it's like, you either hide parts of your identity you'll just be a bit more cautious and careful oh I can't raise my voice above this level oh I can't laugh too loudly oh you know I can't just be seen to be walking around or hanging out um and so if it's not that and then you are your true self you're then seen as the cool black the one that everyone wants to come to and like oh what's the tea girl do you know what I mean so like (laughs) there's always like a contrast and I mean for me it's again I've been in companies in luxury ready to wear companies where I have been either if not the only one of a few there's like a few other black people um and it has been a case of okay let me just assess the situation I'm very good at just like analyzing who I'm working with like assess their behavior um and then kind of aligning myself with that but to be fair I'm quite an open person and I haven't really had any problems with like 
silencing myself. It, uh, I'm black, what can I do? I can't do anything, I'm black, this is how I behave, this is also my personality. Like, you either love it or you don't. Um, I am, um, in my younger years, I am, uh, younger years, um, when I was <laughs> in my early 20s um, and getting into, into fashion, I had like some of the, working at some of the most amazing brands and I was just like, okay, you know, I'd be spoken to in certain ways and I wouldn't defend myself because I was afraid that if I, it's like you said, took my voice above a certain level, oh, you're being aggressive, oh, you're angry, oh, it's this. And it's like, I, I was really cautious about those things. But then as I got older I, I, and I got more responsibility within my roles, I, ha I understood that no, I have to have a certain level of authority, certain level of, of assertive, assertiveness when I speak so that people can respect me. Um, I am, I'm already walking here, I already look different to everybody else, you know, and I cannot shrink who I am as an individual because the reason why I got this job, the reason why I'm in this company is because I have so much to offer them and they know that that's why they hired me. So I now can't, because in a sense, when you alter yourself, from what you originally, you know, show to them from the beginning, it's kind of like they begin to then doubt you. You're putting, you're allowing that, that self-doubt to go from you onto them. Um, I remember a situation where I was working at um, this brand and I was in charge of the assistants and the interns. So I had to delegate their everyday duties, what they had to do. And there was one particular intern that was lazy AF. Like, I'm somebody, I'm very, I'm tenacious. I'm, I get the job done. I'm very active. I want to just, I want to be able to help people if they need help along the way. But this girl was just so adamant that she, everybody else could do all the heavy lifting. Everybody else could do, uh, you know, the longer hours and she was okay. She didn't have to do any of it. And I had set up two meetings with the team in order for us to sit down and talk because there were several other of our colleagues who actually had an issue with her and we just wanted to clear the air. So I'd given her an opportunity on two separate occasions to kind of lay out what the issues are so that we can move forward as a team. Um, she then went on to say, to make file a complaint against me saying that I was bullying her at the workplace. And I was, and automatically that put me at a negative standpoint, because I'm already a black woman. I already have this responsibility where I have to show authority. I have to be assertive. And then that could, to them, that could be translated as me being aggressive or me being, you know, angry in some way. And it actually, that's exactly how my superiors treated me. They like, you know, they were saying, well, you know, we, we, don't, we don't think, you know, your method of teaching is actually working. It potentially is frustrating um, certain individuals within your team. And it's just like things like that. Just, it kind of made me not even want to take these positions, not even want to take that responsibility anymore. Because I was like, if you're going to give me something, if you're going to give me a responsibility like that and then shoot me down at, at, at every time, at, at, any point somebody has a complaint, I mean, what's the point? I just, I can't be bothered. <laughs> so I definitely have like experienced things like that as well. Um, but I, as I'm getting older, I refuse to shrink myself. I refuse to allow those kind of experiences to change me as, as an individual and my personality. You either take me or you don't take me and that's that. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. I think 
my experience feels really parallel to yours, Deborah. Like I've had at the beginning of the indus- my industry experience, I was, I guess, wanting to divert myself away from any stereotype, which, you know, mm-hmm. angry or aggressive. And I think earlier on in my career, like everyone would just see me and be like, oh, you're always so happy. And I was like, <laughs> I can't be anything but happy because yeah. if I'm having a down day, you read it as something. I remember I was working in a studio and it was so weird. I, I think I just exhaled like loudly like it was a because I was tired right and the senior photographer was like oh gosh that's a bit aggressive a sigh wow but literally the day before female photographers had been play wrestling all over the studio wow and I said to him was that not aggressive like the wrestling that was going on yesterday but me sighing heavy was you know it put you at a discomfort and thinking I was being aggressive it mm. almost sounds like he was just ready to say something at any point. Yeah, like, sure. Anything you did, like he was yeah. just ready for it. And it's things like that where I was like, oh gosh, I've got to be re-, like, I did think what it was ridiculous mean, yeah. at the time, but I was like, I've got to be ready for anyone to read anything I do as a form of attack. Because mm. that was just, and that I would say I would be so happy at work. Like I'd be happy, go lucky, talk to everyone, mm. you know, even if, assistant or senior I would talk to you say hello wave in the hall like you couldn't say that I was a miserable person (laughs) yeah I mean the thing is as well like sometimes you 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 don't always want to be you know you might be going through some personal things you know there are days where I work when I go into work I'm just like quiet because I I just feel like being in that moment I just want to get my work uh, get on with my work but they might read that as me being oh, she's being stroppy, throwing a fit yeah. or being a brat. It's, it's just, you cannot win. Yeah. You just yeah. can't. No, no I definitely. definitely had that as well. Like, sometimes I just don't want to speak. I just don't want to mm. chat. I just want to come in, do my work and go home. Um, but then it's also like, like you said, you have to be happy all the time. Um, and I definitely felt like that at the beginning of my journey, like when I left uni. And it's also like, you have to be happy, but then you also have to be super grateful that you've been given mm. this opportunity. Yeah. Um, and it's that's one thing that at the beginning I was like, oh, like, oh, I'm just so happy to be in this space. Like I'm doing what I actually wanted to do. But it's also then I had the realization where it's like, no, my work is good. And to be fair, probably better than some of you know my other colleagues. Um, so I actually deserve to be here and I deserve to go like to higher places. But yeah. I definitely, definitely. I just want to add because um, amongst this, um, you know, when we had the whole blackout day and everybody's posting the black uh, squares and stuff, a friend of mine actually reached out to me to help her create a social media post for her brand. And she is not a social media person at her company. She's actually the shipping manager <laughs> for this brand. <laughs> She's shipping manager. So they had, that morning, they had given her the task of creating, of doing the Blackout Square social media post. And they were like, you know, we, we feel like you'd be like a fantastic candidate to do this job for us, bloody Oh, do you now? And so she mm. reached out, she was like, Deb, do you do this social media thing? Like, what am I doing here? And I was like, I helped her create the, um, the, the caption. You know, we did all of the hashtags, whatever, whatever. And even, and I, I had advised her pr- uh, uh, before we created it and I said I don't think it's a good idea that your brand does it because just looking at your social media presence there's only three pictures of black women in their clothes and this brand has been like 
existing for like five years and if people look down on the timeline it's just going to be white 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 like you there is no real you know advocacy for diversity at this brand and it's obvious and I don't think you should do it and but they went ahead with it they decided to do it so we're like okay great so we did it she created it I was like okay you've, you've worded everything amazing you know it was it was it was brilliant. The way we did it, it wasn't so um, Black Lives Matter. It wasn't so. It was very subtle. It was ve- it was very you know we're going to jo- donate. We have donated such and such amount to this charity in support and standing in solidarity. We kept it nice and sweet. The next day, <laughs> the next day we checked the post. They had changed the caption and added five black emoji hands oh. on there, and we the were just like, and I. Oh. I messaged her and I said to her, did you um, update the social media square? And she said, no, I haven't touched it since. I said, go on it. And she was like, oh my God, like they couldn't even trust me to do the job. They felt that what I did wasn't even good enough. They had to go in and change it. It's, I, I, was, I was dumbfounded. And that's just one of the experiences, you know, these are the brands that are saying that they want to be in, standing in solidarity. You gave the job to um, one, of your, uh, one of your employees who doesn't even do social media to create yeah. this post for you. And then you haven't even trusted her to do it properly. You've gone in and changed it. Yeah. No, it's actually, it's, it's terrible what they do because they're really sneaky about it and they just want to be seen on the right side of mm. history, but they don't want to do any of the work. And I don't know, in my experience, like there's just touching on what you mentioned about how you were with your intern and being seen as like aggressive or not being a good mentor to a junior member of staff. I remember I had this experience with um, actually someone who was, she, we worked in the company together and she was a buyer, senior buyer. And at the time I was creative directing for the company and it was a small boutique in West London. And at the time they didn't have a PR officer so she was kind of in charge of doing social media posts and all of that and we were having a creative meeting about what we were planning on doing for next season and I just mentioned to her like I know social media isn't really your thing but I think it's important that we get the visuals right and in line with the web the website um so I gave her a few points and tips and I said you know I love what you did here in this week but this week seems a little bit disjointed you know I tried to be very critical but also give constructive feedback mm-hmm. and I remember like her face just dropping and going well no we've been getting likes and I said no I understand that but I just think it's good if it you know the presentation flows well from yeah. social media to the website because we're spending all this energy on the website but people see social media first normally if they don't know the brand and then I get a call from the COO talking about how you know people in the company are having issues with me wow oh my god and she was saying that I was overly um, critical of the buyer's work and that I didn't give any constructive feedback. And I said, all I did was give constructive, I was very careful yes. to be, you know, take care of her delicate feelings and make sure that, you know, I didn't come <laughs> across harsh. I didn't say your work was terrible. But what I found interesting is that the CRO that said this to me in the past, she critiqued my work in front of a whole room full of people calling it disgusting wow like literally rambling and saying oh this is disgusting it's so not us like oh I hate it it's just oh it makes you feel sick and I sat there and took it and then after she'd done with her rant I just said are you finished how can we improve this for next time so our visions are in line and she said I don't know so 
I, I had to look at that situation and say, you completely slated my, my idea, my contribution at one point publicly, mm-hmm. and you weren't even to, able to defend why it was wrong. But here I am giving a fellow colleague who's on the same level as me constructive feedback on how to improve. And that's seen as negative and being overly strong for no reason. And I couldn't understand. And at the time I was thinking, there's clearly some favoritism here. There's clearly you seeing me in a perception. You haven't even asked me what I said. You've just gone with, she came back to the office looking so deflated. And I was like, well, that's really not my problem. Like if she she got upset because I gave her constructive feedback, that's really to do with herself and her own Mm -hmm. like self-value or how she feels about what she does. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you should have asked me, you know, what happened or what did you say? Because I noticed there was a bit of tension and have us sit down. But instead you fully took her side and said, oh, you must have attacked her or you must have, you know, you must have said something, you know, that was inexcusable about her work. So I feel like there's always this narrative in a workplace where you, no matter what happens, you're seen I, as an aggressor. I, that's, I find that very interesting because I feel that they, these, this only tends to happen with women who, with Black people who were in a position to actually be able to give back some kind of feedback, Black people who were mm. in positions of seniority or manage, or leading, leadership roles and management positions where, you know, you are required, anybody else who gave that type of feedback, they would, you know, that would be taken on board. But when it's coming from a Black creative, it's really hard for them to, um, to compute it. It's really hard for them to accept that that feedback and I only ever see that in like senior positions management uh, roles leadership roles like I only that's the only pushback that I ever see from these type of roles but if you were doing something you know if you were just like I'd say let's say for example like the studio receptionist the studio coordinator if you had like a lesser role that didn't require so much of your input like you would be seen as being as being great at your job because your job doesn't require much yeah exactly that's Definitely. so interesting and that's just fascinating I'm learning so much like I'm just listening to your guys points and it's like incredible um like this feedback and also the insight behind like what's going on mm-hmm. recently I was speaking to a stylist a white woman who works in the industry and she said that this moment really changed things for her because now over the last few weeks, as we start shooting again, she's been getting emails of people saying, hey, can you jump on this shoot? Can you work on this? And then she sends like a really quick email saying, okay, that sounds great. Like how many people of color are gonna be on set? And she'll get no reply. She's done that with three brands and two of them didn't reply. One of them said, "Uh, none on this time, but next time, the next shoot we're doing, we're gonna use one black model, which is really interesting that, And I remember her saying it and taking such a stand and saying, like, that's not good enough. Like, you can see what's happened. Like, this isn't just about, like, a few people getting angry. Like, the extent of us not getting this right is actually death. It's it's a big deal. So I would love to talk about the future of fashion now. Mm -hmm. And if we zoom out into the future, 2030, and you're picking up one of your favorite magazines, what would you have to see in there or how would work be different to how it is now for you to know that 
we as creatives, as an industry, have really learned from this moment and created an inclusive space where all voices are respected and valued and heard. I think um, I'll, I'll give you the example of like British Vogue. Ever since Edward Enninfield has been put into that position, I feel, how can I, what's the best way to describe it? I, I feel that there's been so much diversity. There's been so much inclusion of people of different backgrounds, models who are black, who are Asian from like, it's just, I, when I open Vogue now, I don't feel a type of way. I'm not going through pages and pages and pages of just content built just for, you know, our white counterparts. I'm not looking at just white models. Sometimes like, you know, there'll be an issue that will come out and I'm like, damn, there's not enough white people in this. Like, maybe they should, maybe they should put some more. Maybe don't take them out completely. Like. <laughs> but he's doing it the way I, I don't think he, he still has so much work to do but I think the fact that he's allowing different voices to be put into the mix allowing people to to um you know to be able to see themselves represented across all backgrounds he's doing it the right way he's beginning he's implementing it the right way moving forward in future how I I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a like idealist. I in an ideal world, I would look, I would open a magazine and I would see an array of people from different backgrounds, different stories coming out of yeah. like just across all, all four corners of the world. Um, and I would not see it as, oh, this is so diverse. I would see it as being normal. It's a yeah, normal it's definitely. Thing. Um yeah. yeah. Um, for me, it's very similar to that, like. I think a lot of magazines in the past, and I'm talking maybe more about the independents in the past, would have like a black model mm-hmm. or, you know, a black singer on the cover or inside the issue. And I'm like, that's all well and great. But when the con- contrib- contributors, there we go, when the contributors are like all white, then that's always rubbed me the wrong way. Cause it's like, oh, you can only be part of this if you have a certain level of social standing. And I think, for me, it would be, it'd be great to open up a variety of different magazines and it's not necessarily the people who you see on the cover or in the issue that are black or Asian, um, but it's actually the people who make up the magazine. So I wanna go to the contributor page and be like, oh, there's a black photographer. Oh, and that's yeah, black. Yeah. That's when I, I really get excited. Really about that. And that's what I think like Edward has done so well at British Vogue, like he's, you open up the contributor page and you see there's an array of different people, different ages as well, different social backgrounds. Um, and I think the only thing I would add to that is let's push it further. Like I know, let's say British Vogue is very much about what's going on in the UK, mm-hmm. but I'd love to see like African photographers mm-hmm. like get their shine and be able to be featured as a contributor in magazines and it not just be, you know, British people. I want it to be like, every creative across the world being able to shed their light and spread their message and their creativity to the world and not it just be a certain type of person in a certain country yeah that would be great to see I think you um, literally took all the words out of my mouth (laughs) (laughs) there you go (laughs) retweet I think I think also it's not just about relying on these 
publications you know to do it for us yeah. I mean for as part of Black Girls and Fashion's um, five-year plan we're, we're we will be rolling out um, from 2021 into 2022 our own magazine and that magazine will cover uh, the creators across the whole African diaspora you know we will we're looking for like let's say for example like uh, an aspiring photographer in Rwanda and how he takes um, images for of of his locals you know bathing at the beach and what um, what technologies he using um, to take these pictures how is he developing them is he you know how does he showcase his work like where does he it's just things like that it's like these I, I believe that we're, we're heading into an, an existence where our, our, we are now living within subcultures. Yes. Um, communities are meshing and mixing in. People are like so intertwined. They eat, everyone's eating different foods, like being exposed to different cultures on a daily basis. Like at times we're even implementing these different cultures within our own everyday lives, within our, our, the fabric of our being. So we need to be open to globalization. We need to be... Um, ready to tell the stories of other people who whose experience is different to ours um, as well. And I think that moving forward in the future, th this is something that will be an everyday occurrence and it won't feel like it's forced. It won't feel like it's um, a quota that we have to meet. It would just be normal. It will be like mm. a part of our everyday existence. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I also, you know, like you guys were saying, um, I just feel like there needs to be more black roles in the leadership on the leadership side of brands and companies like like you said I want to open up the contributor page and see mm -hmm. black faces see black names not more of this you know oh the first black woman in a hundred years the first black photographer <laughs> in a hundred years did this the first black I don't know you know in x amount of years I don't want to see that anymore and also mm. even in the design industry I don't want I don't want to see only you know white heads of designs white design directors I want to be able to walk into companies and see you know like a black senior designer as well and see a black design director I mean Moa Lola is now the design director for Yeezy Gap which I think is mm -hmm. so so sick you know so yeah it's definitely there's definitely like a shift happening I just want it to continue I don't want it to be you know you can definitely see through the companies that are performing that yeah. are doing it yeah. you know I see companies posting like black hands holding white hands holding asian hands and doing all this kumbaya and it's just like if that was the case we wouldn't be doing this that was yeah the case, we wouldn't be here you know so like yeah. i think i think to add to that um lindsay wagner who is the editor-in-chief of teen mm. vogue and um I think is it Sandra? I can't remember her name. But Sandra they've now Charles. that's it. They've now yeah. um, launched uh, the Black in Fashion Council, which yeah. is a coalition of some of the obviously some of the biggest um, Black um, professional influencers that work within the industry who will be rolling out um, initiatives to hold the industry accountable um, for diversity and inclusion within within all their companies. Um, I find it interesting. You know, I think they, I only just saw it yesterday, the official post for it. And I actually reached out to them because I was like, this is such a brilliant initiative that for the most part, it probably will only be focused in America and the American fashion industry. Mm -hmm. But we need to think about how, you know, the experience of other black creatives in Milan, for example, one of like yeah. 
you know, Fashion Week Milan is one of the most racist, sorry to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, we, how, how is that coalition going to um, assist the creatives in Milan, the assistant, uh, assist creatives in London, those in, who do CO Fashion Week as well, mm-hmm. and Paris Fashion Week? We, I think it's not just a, I think at times we're, we're only focused in our immediate communities that we're not focused on the whole picture and how can this um, benefit at, like all professionals across the industry. Mm. Um, but I mean, it's a brilliant initiative and I'm looking forward to seeing what they roll out. And I definitely want to be a part of that organization there. So I've put myself forward. Um, <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. But I think that's also the future of, of fashion is, is having organizations like that that will hold these brands and companies to uh, accountable for their actions um yeah they can't really be trusted to police themselves like i think <laughs> like <They really> in, <laughs> this is not like i just i just think there's been so many instances where fashion brands have got it wrong you know where they've done blackface balaclavas where they've done like little blackface key gems um so i just feel like they don't really know what they're doing and each time they send out their apology I'm like this it's only giving me an insight to what what the diversity looks like in your company mm-hmm. which is probably that it's non-existent because it's never yeah. picked up and if there is some diversity it's not at the high level where they can yeah. make an impact you know so I think it's really important that this initiative has come about and I definitely want to be a part of it too I put my name forward yeah um <laughs> What I, I want to see how it rolls out because what I like about it is that, yes, even though it's like, I think, 400 key people in the industry, um, they say they want everyone to be a part of it from like the assistants to senior management. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a company and you see something is untoward, like it's almost like a, um, you can almost just report it to an external body that isn't HR mm-hmm. yeah. um, and they can come in. And I like that idea that, because I think a lot of times it sometimes is the assistant who has the least power, um, yeah. who no one's really going to pay attention to, who could be easily dismissed. And, mm-hmm. you know, if she tweets about it or doesn't social media post, it doesn't go that far. There's not as much traction because they're not in a, um, let's say, the most pop, they don't have the most popular social media following or something like that. And I think that's where brands feel like they can just kind of brush people off um so I feel like this initiative kind of makes it a little bit more equal and gives Mm -hmm. people insight into what's really going on at different levels within the company um so I'm really excited to see how it comes out I think it should be global um I don't know if it's the plan is to start in America and and spread it out or if they would have different let's say headquarters in different countries but I definitely think it needs to happen because I think when black people join together and take the power away from their white counterparts to police themselves it gives Mm -hmm. us more strength because we say listen we're going to hold you accountable we see what you're doing stop it and if we're all in unison with that from the assistants to senior managers to editors of team vogue it has more it makes more of a statement in the long run and it means they do have to pay attention to it so i think it's amazing and i think if it can continue to grow then Mm. we shouldn't the industry shouldn't back into what it was before I also feel like maybe uh, that's what they're trying to do like they it's like I think they're trying to wait until this whole 
the Black Lives Matter movement dies down until like people's attention has been turned away onto something else in order to kind of, and so it's, it's, I just want to say that because it's very, I like that you said, Effie, that we, um, we can't, in trust, we can't trust them to police themselves. So it's, it's important that we have to keep <laughs> keep on it. Because even like, I think even with a lot of the issues that were happening, I still keep, even though I have, I don't see a lot of the content being posted on these issues at the moment on my timeline, but if certain individuals are still posting them on their stories. So they're still making them, um, you know, visible for people to, to keep that in mind. No, definitely. Totally. And just to add, just to add to that, like, I feel looking at just movements that have happened in most recent years, you know, we've had like the Me Too movement and there have been an uprising in reports about that. I feel like this mm-hmm. is in a way similar to that in the fact that a lot of people are speaking up about how they've been abused at work or how they've been going through microaggressions. And I thought it's important that the industry treats it just as seriously yeah. as mm. they do sexual harassment. Because a lot of times it's like, oh, the, her feelings were hurt. Oh, she felt uncomfortable. That's really her issue. But it's like, well, no, you can't decide to employ a whole bunch of black people and put them in a volatile environment. And yeah. then when they when they talk about, when they say to HR, they go to their superior and say, this isn't okay. You brush it off. Because in a way, I guess that's the only thing I can compare it to that might make some people understand that is when women were brought into the workforce in like the 1950s and 60s, and they, it was a predominantly a male environment. And then you usher in all these women to work with men, and then all these men are sexually, you know, abusing them or sexual harassment and slapping their bums at work. And then they speak up, and then it's oh no, you just need to suck it up. Like he's just being a man. Like yeah. it's it's the same thing. So I think before brands decide, oh, I'm just going to hire in a whole bunch of black people to fill the quota, why don't you go through training? Like why doesn't that become a mandatory thing in every company, big or small? that we're going to talk about this people if human beings don't know how to behave with people who are from different cultures then I think it's down to companies to actually train the people they employ yeah and so when someone is when it is brought to their attention that you know you said something racist then there's a procedure because it's like well you have been trained on this you know that this is an acceptable at work this shouldn't be a surprise that you're now facing disciplinary action you know but because there isn't that system in place, it allows the problem to perpetuate or to be brushed under the carpet. And it makes black creatives in the space also feel like, do I speak up about this? Or but do you, I just want to ask, do you think that they even want to have uh, uh, something like that in place? Do you think that companies want to invest? Because that's still a massive investment mm. that they have to pay for their, you know, employees to go in through uh, through this training process and not knowing how long it's going to take um and then also having to take the time to go through all of the disciplinary actions if they do you know overstep Mm. on the uh, like do you think they even really want to i don't think they necessarily want to but i think it's down to like black people to kind of make them see it's a necessity Mm. because you can't be as you said like we do have a massive pulling power as black consumers it's like if you don't want to be cancelled if you don't want to be put in the box of the companies that are doing it the wrong way then you have to do it the right way so I don't think they necessarily want to but I think it's also a way of them not being held accountable too like if someone in your company says something racist and you do nothing about it 
then you are you're basically telling the world that that's okay yeah so in a way if they wanted to look at it from a selfish perspective if you don't want to be associated with someone who says something racist who says racial slurs at work who acts in um who discriminates against different races in the workplace then you should set this up because in a way from a business it protects you as a company the same way sexual harassment protects you as a company because you have these measures in place so when someone does act out of line you can say no we have we have rules within our company that says that this is not okay and that is why we took this action to put this person under investigation or to dismiss this person or to you know discipline this person in this way I don't think it necessarily means that the company is perfect I don't necessarily mean that the company won't have that situation but it shows the out external world that the company does take the matter seriously and they're doing everything by the book so yeah that's really interesting the fact that people have to be trained at work on how not to be racist is just so mad to me and you know like they obviously think that racism is so overtly and in your face that's why a lot of people in this country feel like they can say oh that doesn't happen here or that does that only happens in america but racism in the uk is so insidious it's it's the microaggressions it's the like you said the oh that was a bit aggressive wasn't it it's all those little things and for sure people need to be pulled up on up on about that and employers do need to tell employees that those form of microaggressions are actually racism is actually racism what do you guys think will have to change about how fashion education works because i work with a lot of creatives who especially people of color who maybe they didn't go to central saint martins and it was their dream and they feel like that discounts them uh i think we see a lot of these amazing opportunities being given to students and creatives who go to particular universities that require things that already like discount and exclude people of color because they haven't had the same opportunities you know they didn't have an um an extra art tutor growing up and all of these things so how can the industry support and change fashion education and the way that we support young creators in the industry so that they can grow up into these senior management roles and leadership roles essentially i think um the best way to do this is to actually provide like bring in like for example um black girls in fashion to mm-hmm. run set of workshops and projects or even like to put together programs um that could be extracurricular to add to their degrees. Um, uh, I think there is so, there's this, um, what's it called? There's this uh, company, I don't know if it's a company or organization called Black um, Curriculum UK. Um, and they're trying to change the way that um, students learn about, um, they want to implement black history into like the educational system. Yeah, And I feel that, um, there's also this amazing um, uh, costume, his black costume historian called Shelby Ivy Christie. Love she her. is absolutely amazing. Like mm-hmm. women, I believe that we need to now bring in industry people like Shelby to come in and run workshops and actually be a part of the uh, educational curriculum so that, you know, students that do not go attend like Central St. Martins, they have that additional push that something to say actually 
they were a part of this curriculum, they were part of this project that was run by, you know, people with like direct industry professionals who are of notoriety within the industry, you know, that can give them that additional push. Because I just feel like Central St. Martin's in itself is so overrated regardless. Mm -hmm. Like I, I didn't go to Central St. I didn't attend UAL. I went to Buckinghamshire University. And shut up, reading. I'm <laughs> everything you're saying, babes. Speaking, speaking the truth. I'm speaking some truth a little bit. Mm. Um, and so for me, it was kind of like I understood that. Damn, I'm going to be fighting against. You know, I'm going to be going if I want to work at Jimmy Choo. I have to make myself presentable because I didn't attend UAO. I didn't go to Central St. Martins. I don't have, um, you know, internships at this and that place. I had, no, sorry. I had internships, but I, I managed to, to make myself more appealing because I went through the internship route mm -hmm. because I had to add these additional things um, to my CV and to my experience prior to even going into the working workforce because I knew that I was going to need something to elevate me against because I didn't have that level of, uh, you know, I say credentials, like <laughs> going to Central St. Martin's, like it, does it like I don't want to ramble so yeah so so for me I had to put things in place so that it would give me an opportunity um to be on a similar level uh, playing field as everybody else yeah I definitely definitely agree with you Deborah and also one thing I do want to see is that the same way you know students from these prestigious universities are you know promoted and their voices are amplified um, I'd like to see that across the board because they're not, that's not the only design uni in the UK, you know, and yeah. there are as many other talented creatives in, you know, art unis, design unis. So I'd like to see, you know, a lot more focus on that and, you know, make it not be just the five black designers, you know, the yeah. same five black designers that, yeah. you know, publications talk about that stylist pool. You know, yeah. like there's enough of us in this world. Yeah. <laughs> like there's so many of us, so I don't, I don't really understand why. Yeah. One thing that I really loved, a tangible thing, is that I loved that. I know Goldham isn't a fashion publication, but I love that when they did their internship, they worked, they partnered with this company to provide like rent, subsidized rent costs for mm -hmm. that intern, and something like that is. To me, it seems very practical because let's not forget like that London is, you know, to even live here and to do an internship is incredibly an expensive thing to do. And if your family already lives here and works here, like you've got, that's great. But there's also people all over the country who want to work in fashion and want a piece of, you know, the fun that is happening in London. So I even think that being like supporting creatives that are outside of London, supporting creatives who don't live in London, who mm. didn't go to university, who yeah. are trans and all of that thing that like we can be so thorough in the way that we approach this going forward and I think it's just that level of care and level holding yourself to that level of excellence to me that's how I'm going to really that's a fashion industry that I'm going to be really proud to be part of yeah. and yeah. it's those like practical things that really need to sh happen and shift for me mm. no definitely I think one point that you brought up that really struck me is 
the idea of going to university in general like it's not always a viable option for everybody like you're completely blessed if it is and that's amazing but I think even the idea of going to uni I was lucky enough to go to uni and it was always you know my that was always my aim for Mike when I was 10 my mum would say you could either go on a holiday and maybe go to York and see your uncles or you could go and take this like LCF short course summer school thing and I'd always choose the LCF summer course because I was like I want to go to uni I want to experience what it's like to learn um but then what I found when I when you get to university and I went to UAL and at the time I studied graphics I didn't actually study fashion um but what you find is that there are not a lot of black tutors in the university nope. anyway and there's this very one set standard of teaching and what you teach um so what I've noticed is that there isn't I don't know if there's if there's an advantage of going to university like there definitely are but there's definitely things that university misses out for I think a black a black creative that you don't learn about that you don't see and I think it would be amazing that if you decided not to go to university if there were as you said Deborah like some kind of mentorship scheme which kind of gave you the confidence to understand the industry because a lot of times in the creative industry and within fashion as well, some of the people, some of our white counterparts who end up in these privileged positions didn't actually study at a university, Mm. but they had so-and-so who could assist them or they were an assistant to this person because they Mm. were a family friend. And I think we need to cultivate that within our community as well, where these mentorship programs exist. So there isn't just one way of entering the industry. You don't just have to go to UAL and you don't just have to go to university and you don't have to have someone who's a friend of the family who works in the industry to understand the industry. Because I think there's always a bit of a disconnect with black creatives is if your family doesn't come from a creative background, because mine certainly didn't, they didn't know necessarily how to help me because they come from a very academic background. So you spend a lot of time trying to figure out the industry and navigate it. And I think if there could be some kind of mentorship program that could assist black creators in understanding what sector of the industry they're interested in, like what role is available and then how to access that role without an education, that would be amazing. Like apprenticeship mm-hmm. programs would be great. You see them in other companies, but I don't believe I've ever heard of one in fashion where you can just be an apprenticeship normally it's like you have to go to university for your three years and then you can do an apprenticeship so I'd love to see that shift a little bit and so it can be opened up to everyone regardless of their finances or where they live mm-hmm. I think also um we 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 shouldn't be afraid like to encourage young creatives to build their own things outside of university I know many creatives you know were one of our um, latest last speakers for our last event, um, Mata Marielle, who's a makeup artist, um, she didn't go to university. She was given, like, she did various little projects where um, she was re- then recommended from one person to another, and she began to build her, um, her she began to build her, like, um, what's that word? <laughs> her oh gosh her, her recognition that well, I'm just going to say recognition because I can't remember what the word is her reputation that's it so she began to build her reputation um through word of mouth like being referred and working with people I I definitely I think maybe that's I think that way more so because I'm a self-starter I'm not afraid to be an entrepreneur I'm not afraid to take risks and that's you know 
for years, young people have been drummed into their minds that they ha- that their their career path should be very linear. Mm. It should be go to college, get your GCSEs, get your A levels, go to university, get your degree, get a job, work at that job 40, 50 years, then retire, and that's your life. Like there is not there is not no one way of being successful, especially especially in this time that we're living in now. There are so many opportunities that can come out of self-expression, self-exploration, that you don't, uh, I believe that people drum university into, into young people's minds because they're afraid that, oh, you know, they might not become anything. They won't, they won't, do you see what I'm saying? So it's like, you, you're better off going to university, try and figure it out there. And university doesn't always work out for everybody. Mm. You know, there are a large amount of, of students who will drop out, who will become depressed by the process of university. There is so much to deal with. And in my opinion, yes, university, you can learn. Um, there's a, many things that you, you can learn that is applicable within the working, wor- working environment. However, there are me- also many things that you can learn um, through self-exploration on your own, through putting yourself out there, doing, having real life experiences, um, going in the world, take a gap year, go traveling, understand the system that you're about to enter in real life. Um, so I think, I, do, I, do I think a degree is valuable right now in this world that we live in? Not really. And that's just my honest to God opinion. It's not. Um, does anybody look at my CV when I apply for jobs? Like, does, I mean, not my CV. I mean, my, my degree. Do they even ask for it? No, they don't. So I'm going to put myself or another student's going to put themselves through this three-year, four-year experience to then have to fight to get onto the career ladder with their peers who have been doing the same thing for the last three to four years. Deborah, I, think... I just fell in love with you. I could see Kyra. She had that glint in her eye because I know Kyra so much. Glint in her eye. I was like, Kyra is loving this. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just, you know, I say this because I try not to say things like that because I understand that everybody's experience is different. Yeah. And not everybody's going to agree that university right now in this period in this life that we're living in is not quite helpful to us especially mm. if you're a creative if you're more of an academic if you if you study economics if you study all these other things yes that there are there are still jobs out there that you can go straight into after university but working in the fashion industry there isn't so why would you put yourself through 50 grand debt three years of hard work and labor you know you don't have tutors that represent that look like you you don't have tutors that have the same experience as you that could help you that could give you feedback and give you advice on how to better navigate yourself and navigate your work to better present yourself to the world you're then going to go into a world especially if you're a black creative that doesn't even value you or even see a space for you within their business or their company it's it's a very long-winded journey for us and I would rather encourage students to be free thinkers, to be, to explore yourself inside out. What makes you tick? How, how can I apply my everyday life into my creativity and make something beautiful, make it innovative, make it inform the future? Um, This is, I think, moving forward, education system needs to change. And that's why I was saying before, we need to begin to implement, allow these organizations that want to you know, reframe the way the education system is structured, adding different curricula, different 
you know, sources of topic for students, for people to, to, to really thrive off of and just think differently. I think the current system that we're living in just isn't working anymore. Just not. No. Definitely. Deborah, teach me how to talk like you. <laughs> <laughs> she's so succinct how she presents her thoughts. I'm like, not so. I was trying, no, I was really just trying to talk slow so I can articulate it. <laughs> you did really well. That was amazing. I love that. I, I need to learn that. I'm a rambler. I me to too. You and me both. <laughs> I definitely think you touched on something that I noticed. I've been asked in the past to go into universities as a visiting lecturer and what I what has been very apparent to me is that a lot of the tutors on courses have been so they're so out of touch Mm. with the industry now that they've been teaching for 10 years and that has been their sole um their sole source of income and they're not doing a lot of external work that a lot of them can't actually speak to what's going on in the industry right now so they're always referencing the past um, and academia, but they don't actually know the situation as it stands. They don't even, sometimes even know the rates of what um, creatives should be working at when they first leave. You know, it's a bit of a guessing game. So I also think that, just like you said, Deborah, it's not, it's not fundamental to go to university mm. to be a creative at all. Um, but I think a lot of people, if they're not natural self-starters, if they don't, if they feel like they're at a loss because they don't have anyone to look to, any kind of structure to see, they think the only way is university because at least it provides a clear structure of how you're meant to progress in this industry. But that isn't necessarily the case. And I don't think you get the best education necessary for university. So I do think it's quite important that we speak more about educating yourself and looking to people maybe in the industry that you love to assist if you feel like you're not sure of how the industry is you know I think assisting can be really vital but I also think it's important to assist the right people Mm -hmm. people that really speak to you and you really respect their work and that can lead you and luckily there are some black creatives in this industry um, that you can reach out to for that guidance so I think that's really important as well that the current black creatives that are flourishing in the industry do open themselves up to bring in assistance that they may not know that aren't a friend of a friend as well because we don't want to start replicating the nepotism that we see with white people within the industry where we only have people assist us who are a friend of a friend or someone that we know it's also black people who don't know anyone in the industry at all so I think that's important to kind of keep it open so everyone can fight totally I love that so everyone can thrive and really I think that's why I've even started this platform as in showing everyone that no matter what your experience is or your background is there is still space for you to have success like you don't have to go and look at some stylist that you admire look at their wikipedia page or their website and be like oh my life doesn't look the same as as theirs Mm -hmm. so I can't be successful and to be honest that's one of the biggest blocks that I see so just to wrap up now I want to thank you all for sharing your thoughts and your mind on this problem I feel like I've had like just the best minds tackling this <laughs> and we're so lucky to have you all doing the work that you do in the industry and just as some lasting thoughts I would love for you to share your ideas of what it takes or for any young black people of color what can they do moving forward to find success 
to build their own thing as you was touching on Deborah what you know what do they need to do next after listening to this episode and getting inspired by all of your points I think you should take a shot of tequila and then go reach out to that person that you really admire email them (laughs) slide in someone's dms and ask for that internship, ask for that opportunity. I think many, uh, and this is, I'll leave you guys with this, many of the sponsorships and partnerships that I've been so blessed to have through Black Girl, with Black Girls in Fashion was through my pure audacity, through tenacity of just being like, well, the worst they can say is no or nothing at all. Mm-hmm. I think I've allowed myself, I've, I've brought my platform this far because I like to take risks and I know that the industry isn't going to give me what I need and what I deserve from it. So it has to come from me. I have to be ready and willing to put in the hard work um, and to take these risks regardless what, and come what may, I can care less, but I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try. So yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, I definitely agree. And just like believe in yourself, you know, like believe in your source. Um, I'm, I definitely feel like black people are the pr- blueprint. Um, mm. So you need to believe that you are the pr- blueprint and that you can pretty much do anything that you put your mind to. Yeah, just go for it. Yeah, I think you guys have just touched on everything that they need to do. Take action. Don't be scared. Like mm. I think fear, a lot of the time, fear and doubt holds us back. And you can come up with a million excuses not to pursue someone that, you know, you want to work with or collaborate with. There'll be so many reasons, oh, their Instagram following's like in the hundreds of thousands and mine's only like 10. Or they only seem to be working with these people and they're like cooler than me. Or You'll think of so many reasons why you shouldn't reach out to that person. But instead of wasting your time and doubting yourself, I think it's just better to put yourself out there. Because even if they don't, like what you do they'll at least know who you are mm. but next time if you decide to reach out I'll be like oh there's that person that reached out to me before and their work I wasn't feeling it then but now it's developed and it's improved so I definitely don't think there's anything wrong with just giving it a try and also like even if it doesn't work out if you don't find that person that you want to collaborate with if you don't get replies don't let that re- deter you like still find yeah. things that inspire you still pursue what you love because that's why you're in it you're not in it to be seen or to be popular you're in it because you love it you enjoy it so just keep fueling that keep fueling your desire to learn and be inspired keep fueling your desire I love that I love anything (laughs) to do with like desires and (laughs) love it all (laughs) definitely speaking my language and how can the listeners find you all because I know they're going to be eager to connect and follow your work uh, you can find me. <laughs> you can find me um, on Instagram at Asata Ibrahima, A I S A T A I B R A H I M A. I'm very friendly and I love to have a laugh. So, you know, <laughs> she I'm does. She does. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram too. Um, it's F E, that's E F E underscore underscore I. Um, yeah feel free to like sign to my dms i look at my messages often so you don't have to i don't have to follow you back i will check um so yeah or just comment comment on a picture i read my comments too so if you ever want to reach out collaborate assist um i'm always up for it 
I'm always up for it. So yeah, definitely reach out. Yeah, um, I think just the same, you can find me on Black Girls in Fashion um, on Instagram, or you can just email, click the little email um, button and it will go directly to, to me anyway. Um, so yeah. Amazing. Thank you all again for coming and sharing this time with us. I have had so much fun chatting and yeah, it's just been the best time. So listeners definitely get in touch and let them know how much you enjoyed this episode. Until next time. (laughs) Hey, you creative. Are you just about done feeling stressed out about money? Are you over comparing yourself to your friends and scrolling through Instagram just feeling shit as you look at everybody else's accomplishments? Well, it might be time to book in a call with me and let's explore what it will look like for us to work together. I've helped so many of my clients overcome the comparison, overcome their self-doubt, and now they never look back. They're able to work on the creative projects of their dreams. And you know what? I want the exact same for you. So if you are interested, you need to go to www.kyramatthews.com forward slash book a call and book a free 30-minute consultation with me now. That's www.kyramatthews.com forward slash book a call to get your free consultation with me now. I can't wait to chat to you.